Better imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it, welcome to it, welcome to it, and additionally, welcome to it. Tonight, tonight's episode, a returning guest, uh, actually one of the most Positive feedback guest that I've ever had on this show, believe it or not. Uh, unique performer, vocalist, uh, really just a unique guy. Very, very unique thinker. Um, hell of a guy, Shannon Selberg. Uh, last appearing on episode 206 of Protonic Reversal. We talked mostly about the cows. We did not talk that much about the heroin sheiks. So we're going to talk about heroin sheiks tonight. Uh, and... Out of Africa has been reissued by Reptilian Records. So that is a thing that we're going to be doing. And we're going to, I'm sure we'll talk about the cows as well. But if you really want to hear about the cows, episode 206 is like 90% cows. Okay. So uh, real quick, before we get right down to it, boppers, this, of course, is not episode 206. This is episode 269. Nice. And I'm happy to have him back. So, real quick, whether it's first time or a long time, I'm Conan Neutron. I have played in bands and made records for over 21 years. Most notably, I suppose, for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. This is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. It's a long-running podcast about music and musicians. This is episode 269. Nice. If this is your first time listening to the show, all the archives are at protonicreversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you'd like to support the show or get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to patreon.com slash reversal. If you like the show or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along, like, subscribe, or post a review. All of that helps people find the show, and it's just a darn nice thing to do. So let's do it. Shannon Selberg. Volume two. Hey, Shannon. Welcome what? back to the show. Oh, hi. <laughs> Sorry, my wife. My wife turned off the ringer so I could take a nap today. Ain't that something? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> I'm not holding up the show, am I? Oh, no, no. Not at all. Oh, okay. Not at all. You're, you're, you're doing I saw fine. that you had called. I'm like, what the? <laughs> so, uh, welcome back to the show. It's uh, it's uh, been a while since you were since you were on it. It's, it's an episode... Uh, two. This is I just said it like literally a second ago. 
It's episode oh. 269. Right? Yeah, who's counting, right? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but who's counting? Exactly. And then are it was two on the air right now? We are on the air, Shan Silberg. Welcome. Holy cow. All right. <laughs> on cool. the internet. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to tell the people out there listening. Now, I don't know what Conan's been telling you guys, but I actually looked up on the internet what a protonic reversal actually is. <laughs> it, it's, it's how you make antimatter. You it's... know what antimatter is, right? Well. Oh, first, can you swear on this show? Yes, yes, you can. You can. I think you asked okay, that last time, and I always appreciate people asking, even when it's, it's uh, you know, the answer is Okay, yes. so if I'm going to be a dick, I want to be a dick on purpose, right? <laughs> so anyway, but the antimatter, I actually mixed up a small batch, and I got it in the fridge, so I don't accidentally blow up the universe. That's good. If I'm going to be a dick, I want to be a dick on purpose. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's the end of my monologue. You can go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want to accidentally be a dick, you know, be, be going for, um, you know, the ketchup and then accidentally in the universe or something along those lines. That's uh, that's no bueno. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. A deep thinker. I like that. <laughs> so it, it occurred to me, and not for the first time, uh, but when we spoke last time, which was which was great, we went very in depth mm-hmm. in the cows. We did not go in depth into heroin shakes, and I think that that's mm. that's something that I feel like that band is very underrated, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, so the end of the cows, ostensibly, uh, Thor decides he's more or less done. Uh, you moved to New York. Yes, I moved to New York, and and we popped out one more album after that, kind of long distance. But Thor, yeah, Thor wasn't into getting in little vans and touring anymore. We weren't getting along so great, and uh, you know, we were, we were uh, in. Well, we loved each other, but we weren't in love anymore. So, right. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's a long run too. That's a long time for being a band, especially for a band that worked as hard as you did, went to you know put the work in. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. The the cows was just sort of some random people that when we played together, it it formed sort of a chemical reaction, and we just like grabbed on for the ride. <laughs> like, yeah, we put me and Thor and Kevin in a room and turn up some amps, and uh, yeah, it, it, so you know. Something exploded, and uh, you know, it, I couldn't really recreate that with the heroin sheiks. That was it was a different thing. It was uh, more thought out, let's say. Yeah, yeah it, it seemed much more articulated, less you know, chaos theory. Of the band, maybe uh, <laughs> that's the best way to personify that. Yeah, it was, uh, and uh, performance-wise, uh, not only was that chemical reaction occurring live on stage with the cows but uh yeah every single night i tried to do a a different show and uh that gets kind of impossible after a while so you know when you see you know there's a band that you love that's crazy and does crazy shit every time you see them uh after a while some stuff works and some stuff doesn't and you kind of fall into a thing where something works you want to do it again and then pretty soon the whole you know a whole set can get that way and uh, if in case anybody's wondering out there why that happens to bands like if you do a move on stage or a little 
piece of business and it works, you want to do it again the next night and it still works. And when you add that stuff up, yeah, by the time I was doing the heroin chics, I wasn't trying to do a different thing every single night. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because a lot of times people think when they see the, you know, oh, it's a crazy front man, right? Then they, they think like, oh, it's all planned out. It's just, you know, it's an act. It's a a song and dance man, but the song and dance is maybe a little more unorthodox than others. Uh, Yeah, I don't know about other people, but no, we weren't planning it out. But yeah, it's really nerve wracking to face a crowd in a riot situation and be trying new stuff in real time. And you never know when somebody's going to like punch you in the mouth or maybe you punch somebody in the mouth and like that. You know, that kind of stuff is not sustainable in the long run. <laughs> exactly. And so then it seems like the with the move to New York, you also had a different a different kind of move for how you wanted to articulate the band, keeping the intensity but sort of changing how the compositions came forward. Then, of course, being a different group of people that also – you know, it's always going to sound different when it's a different group of people. So that initial, initially, it was what? Yeah, you and George, uh, Norm Westberg, and John Fell, I believe, right? Is that was the yeah. first one? Yeah, uh, there was a drummer before that, but he didn't actually I think he was on the first single. But yeah, he quit the band like the night before we were supposed to go out touring, our first tour. And so I called John Fell on a payphone. I said, "Hey, John, uh, can you do me a favor?" <laughs> You're at all the shows. Do you think you know him well enough to go out on a tour? He said, yeah, when? And I said, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow night. How long's the tour? Uh, three weeks, I believe. And uh, he was he was uh, brave enough and enough of a guy to – he stepped right into that breach. Yep. That, that's, a, that's a brave man, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Now, the first <laughs> – some of the first nights were a little rough, and uh, that was our first impression of people. And we had trouble getting those audiences back, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just to try something like that is just unbelievably brave. And he didn't even flinch a bit. Grand record is due. So, yeah, he's a great drummer, yes, and a great man, as far it, as I'm concerned. It's, yes. kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about now, just because people look at it in a different way but the name correct me if i'm wrong it, it was sort of a uh, a play on the on the fashion thing like the it's a sort of the model all the models looking like they were on heroin and whatever which is a big thing in the like the especially the in the 90s it seemed like ah yes the name the heroin sheiks yes it was uh probably the biggest obstacle to any success we may have had <laughs> but i actually had about 15 names i had come up with <clears throat> and i put it up to a vote with the band and that's the one they voted on much to my chagrin but uh that's how we ended up with that name yes i had a whole bunch of clever puns and shit like that but uh that's the one they wanted so we went with it <laughs> well and it's a play on words too because it's heroin like a her- a hero and a heroine like it's not like yes. the drug well here's the thing about <laughs> here's the thing about a band name though if you have if people ask you what the name of the band is and you have to spell it for them <laughs> bad idea yeah. <laughs> yeah not a problem with the cows the cows is pretty straightforward no although i used to make a joke with them <clears throat> People assume, like, uh, cows after the animals. said, no, actually, uh, it's named after a man named Kaus, who is a Latvian poet. It's the softest. 
uh, yeah, that went over not so well. So. <laughs> Did they just kind of blink at you when you said that? Like, what? <laughs> yes. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Who cares? <laughs> what a liar. No, not, not even with the referencing the band name can it ever be easy, huh? It's just got to uh, hardest, hardest route possible. Yes. <laughs> and then there's the vicious controversy about whether it was cows or the cows. Yes. Which has never been decided officially, by the way. Did you did you ever land an opinion yourself as to which one it was, or were you ambivalent? No, nah, I just decided to spell spell it the cows with a small t, and let's <laughs> keep the controversy going because I don't want to fight about it. Right, right. Well, long long as people are talking about it, that's the important thing. Yeah, as long as I don't have to talk about it no more. That's an even more important thing. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, then uh, you're coming out of you know you did uh you know sorry and pig miner that was the that, that was like what 98 or so so you're you're the the songwriting's a bit more darker seems a little more sinister from from, from the outside um and then you put together what is eventually becomes rape on the installment plan yes uh well the thing about that is is that when we were writing Sorry and Pig Minor, we already knew that it was going to be our last album. So, uh, yeah, that chemical reaction, that's that album was sort of uh, like the big prehistoric monster sinking into the tar pit. I mean, we knew that (laughs) those were our shrieks of of anguish and anger about that situation. And uh, but, uh, yeah, that's what Sorry and Pig Minor was. And uh, the heroin sheiks, I just sort of like I started writing stuff on the keyboards, and and if you write songs and you're you're an exhibitionist, which is kind of important to releasing music, if you write a song and you like it, then you want it to be born. So then I had to form a band, and, and we had to practice and all that junk, and then we got to play the songs live. But I was lucky in that, in that I put out the word on on the grapevine in in New York that I was looking for people, and really good people started calling me. So, yeah, worked out. I got just the right people, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, and uh, great talents that are you know somewhat different from who you'd played with before, like having different uh, different vibes. Like I was thinking about uh, Norman Westberg. Like that guy's got a pretty pretty iconic. Uh, discography himself, right? You know, like you know, oh yeah, he's an interesting dude. He's kind of a he's kind of a Vulcan in a way. He's he's very sort of naturally a Zen guy, and uh, and when after a couple of shows, I sort of sent something and I said, "Hey Norman, why are you even in this band? I don't understand." <laughs> and he looked me right in the eye and said in his way. Well, Shannon, um, it's like this. So far, you keep surprising me, and uh, as long as you keep doing that, I suppose I'll be in the band. And I'll be in the band until I'm not anymore. Fair enough. Yeah, that's hard <laughs> that's to argue with. That's a good with. answer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's very hard to argue with. <laughs> like, oh, you put it like that? Yeah, I guess that is right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So- so that guy, uh, so, so uh, and again, ba- bands I feel like are almost like alchemy, right? Like it's sort of like you get a different metal depending on the different elements and uh, how they're cooked up, so to speak. Yeah, he had a whole different philosophy on guitar playing than uh, 
than Thor did. He's very uh, tasteful and minimalist. He he doesn't play a whole lot of notes, Norman, but he plays the right ones. Yes, right, which which, which is key. And then you had, uh, you know, you, you had Scott on keyboards. For that yes, another very odd character. He's actually like a really high up executive in the Kelvin Klein company. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. Yes. His regular real life was that, yeah, he would go into Kelvin Klein and he was a really big muckety muck. And he's about the most handsome, mellow, intelligent guy in the world. And uh, yeah, he was, he walked on water around that place, but at the same time, he had no ego about it and he made time for the heroin sheiks, took time off of work. And most people didn't even know he was in a crazy punk rock band at all that he worked with. <laughs> and the ones that did just thought that was pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a notable thing. Like, you know, Hey, I go skiing on alternate Tuesdays. Oh, okay, cool. You know, great. <laughs> and yeah. He, he, he was super nice. And in fact, like a couple of times I was too drunk to go home after practice and he summoned a limousine to take me home. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. Yeah. That's service. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then, uh, and then I think when, when John, John Phil kind of comes on board. That's when it kind of starts to come together, right? Like he, it's uh, he, that seemed like to be a key element. Yes, and then I had to find someone whose job it was to learn my keyboard parts, which are uh, a they're extremely unschooled because I don't know any chords, and b I stupidly severely injured my right arm and hand while I was in the cows. And so my left hand was the one where I could do all the tinkly stuff on the keys. So where I'm going with this is I crossed my hands to write the parts on the keyboards, which makes it very difficult for a regular person to, <laughs> sure, yeah. to figure them out and, and without even like they wrote the parts. So, yeah. That was a, that was actually always the toughest job to fill. Yeah, well, they're unorthodox, and part of the reasons why because it's it's not traditionally, you're not playing it like a traditional keyboard player at all, too. No, yeah, cross. <laughs> yeah, my hands are always crossed when I play the keyboard, so I'm playing the the rhythm part with my right hand on the left side, and vice versa. And the keyboard's built so like your thumbs are in a certain place and your fingers are in a certain place that's how they design the keys but uh yeah so it's a little a little bit difficult uh so did you feel that with heroin cheeks the, the original conception of it you were you were writing more more of the song you're writing more of the music but it still has to be open yeah. to interpretation to become a band uh yeah so yeah they would always start see what i was toward the end of the cows my mom gave me a casio keyboard for christmas mm-hmm and I started writing songs on it, and like they show up on like a couple of songs in Sorry and Pig Minor. But once I started up the heroin sheiks, that that was the only thing I had to write songs on. So I wrote them all in the keyboard, and uh, I had to come up with enough songs to form a set just to start with, so we had something to rehearse. So it was already that part of it was kind of far along by the time I started getting people together. Did you? It was it a uh, like the, what a, a full range keyboard? 
Like the, the all the keys? Was it a smaller one? No, no. Well, it wasn't tiny. It was like two feet wide, kind of a hundred, uh, a ninety-nine dollar Casio, right? That I wrote on. So, uh, which, by the way, after a while became a, an issue because the things break easily, and they, and by the time I started the heroin sheiks, they didn't make those keyboards anymore. So we <laughs> we have to look in used instrument shops and Craigslist and, and all over the place to try to find the same keyboard, which oh, was man. the only one I could write on. So uh, that's a, that's a bummer. So so it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, We'd, and doubly a bummer that you didn't just have like a relationship with Casio where they get to send you another one, right? Yeah, you know, that would have been that would have great. That would have been brilliant if I was smart enough to think of things like that. But no, <laughs> but yeah, they're very delicate things. So we would bring a couple of them on tour, and boy, you should have seen the looks on uh, sound men's face when they had to seriously mic with a, a really cheap <laughs> Casio board to actually play important parts of the song. Not right. Just to add a little racket here in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not really implemented as a noise making device. It's actually a part of the, the melody and the structure of the song. Uh, well, it, yeah, it doubled as a, you know, songs like jujitsu. I just pounded on it, but uh, yeah, it was a, uh, that was a little tricky, and uh, record producers didn't care for it either. I always complain that it sounded like bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I don't think I've ever heard that before, but I, I get it. It's an unorthodox yeah. sound. I mean, uh, yeah, not bubble gum music, literally it's, bubble gum. Sounds yeah. like actual bubble gum, right? Yes, I, you really want to play. Do you want me to get you a good keyboard? No, this is the one. Let's just do it. <laughs> that's your thing. That's that's the one that works. Did you have a thought towards not doing Bugle and Heroin Sheiks just because it was kind of associated with the cows? No, I never did. Uh, the thing with, yeah, Bugles, you know, I know I learned in, in the cows, I actually gradually learned how to play the damn thing. So, yeah, I'm not going to go. Why, why have one arm tied behind my back? If, if brass fits in, put it in. Sure. Well, and I think that that's something that kind of was was known as like the Shannon Selberg thing, right? It's like, oh yeah, even if it's just going to be like, here's like one like weird bleat as like the punchline to the joke. There's going to be like you know some bugle that occurs now and again in a band that you would never think would have a bugle in it. Yeah, actually, for a minute I started thinking that way. That well, we've got twelve songs here, but none of them have a bugle. I better do a put it. Nah, never. I didn't think that way, but after if you write enough songs, one of them's got to have a bugle in it, just just because you can put it in there. And uh, and the the keyboard doesn't make good horn sounds at all. I tried. It does <laughs> yeah. trombone pretty good, but that's about it. Yeah, horn sounds on the keyboard are generally uh, varying shades of awful. And that's right. That's it's good. in quotation marks. Horn. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Uh, the so Ray Bond the installment plan. Uh, I'm go go and assume that's a, a Celine uh, reference, right? Yeah. When I first, I didn't start. I came to reading literature late because I like to read science. But uh, yeah, so one of the first novels I ever read was Death on the Installment Plan, which was just uh, his writing style is, is very musical and rhythmic. And uh, uh, and he goes off on these, uh, what does he do? He, he kind of hallucinates. 
like out of nowhere. And then he goes back to being him and he's a quiet guy and everything just kind of happens to him. And uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of bookended the thing with Celine references. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Because yeah, yeah at the end of it, you have, um, you've, you've got another one. You've got uh, uh, journey to the end of the knife instead of night. Yeah. Boy, let me tell you, when I was interviewed in France, they were awfully delicate about bringing that up. <laughs> uh, in case you don't know, he, he was out there in radio land or internet land. He was a fascist sympathizer. Yeah. Yes. I'm not fascist at all. I despise fascism, but yeah, I like Celine's writing. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you sit there and you went, wow, why don't people know more about this excellent writer? And it's like, oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, that it. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a hard that's as they say a harsh toke for sure. Yeah, that would uh, that can hit some people the wrong way. <laughs> well, and then people make assumptions, right? That you can I mean, if you're reading something as literature that you're not you're not looking at it as like an instruction manual necessarily. And that and that said, you know, death on the installment plan, journey into the night, these are not like explicitly political screeds. It's like you're sitting around reading mm-hmm. Mein Kampf, but you know, no, not at all. Like, no, he hates everybody. Yeah, <laughs> he's just, he, exactly just universal in, in his disdain. Life, by all accounts, he he helped the poor. He was a doctor and he helped the poor for free, and nobody had any idea that he was had such thoughts until he he started releasing pamphlets, and uh, and then it was off to the races. But uh, yeah, I, I hate fascism, and if yeah. You know, even if I didn't, I mean, the quickest way to get somebody to hate your guts, and rightfully so, is if they think you're a fascist. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm not. So. Well, so it's, it's, it's good to get, get that out there because I think a lot of times, especially when people are revisiting older stuff, they're looking at the modern context. And uh, yeah. even usage yes. of the word rape could be misconstrued as, you know, just. Yes, and out there in in the world, in the music world these days, there's a lot of what in wrestling they call smart marks. People who think they know a lot about uh, why a band does this or that, and they actually don't know anything at all. Which is, uh, yeah, it's just kind of how it is. It's better not to give them ammunition. Yeah, and that's in general, that's probably good. uh, Probably a good ethos. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't uh well and, and so I feel like we we've gone through uh, most folks in the lineup. We did, we didn't talk about George though. He's got an interesting um uh he he's got an interesting sort of uh, motif himself as well. Uh, well. How did he come into the picture? Well, we were old friends, and once I put the word out that I was looking for people, <clears throat> he was the first guy to respond and he had a practice space oh, and so nice. yeah the heroin chic's jamming actually for a month or two is just me and him in a practice space and yeah he's a good bass player and and we had a good feel for writing music together so uh, yeah that that worked out for a long time and, and then uh thing about george is and don't get me wrong i love george but he had never really been out in the world touring at all. And uh, he jumped in on the deep end of the pool for sure. And so he made a lot of rookie mistakes on tour, let's call them. And, and uh, I tried to talk to him and he got mad at me. And we eventually sort of fell out that way. Mm. 
which was unfortunate because, yeah, he had an awesome stage present and a very good bass player. And we've been friends for a long time. So. And we were friends afterwards, by the way, too. That's eventually. good. But that's hard to but do sometimes. He's, <laughs> he's a Greek person. And uh, he, as he liked to say, we Greek people are very emotional. So, yeah, we had some hollering matches that that went on for a long time. I mean, like an hour or two at a time, yeah. <laughs> did you feel, <clears throat> when writing for this band, did you take a different approach when you were writing the lyrics, or was it kind of about the same, just mining different territory? Uh, no, I kind of write what I write as far as lyrics go and atmosphere of songs and, and like that. So... If it's a continuation of the cows to that degree, that's me, and to the degree it's not, that's the new people. Now, I personally, and maybe some people won't like this, but uh, when I want to listen to to music, I, I actually prefer the heroin shakes. Yeah. It sounds better to me. I think it's aged pretty well, whereas the cows, I think, uh, have aged well in a way, but it sounds very much of its time. Like, I think heroin shakes don't quite sound quite of its time. Uh, if that makes well, sense. Well, yeah, actually, the cows, we thought of ourselves as sort of a, a kind of a blues band. Yeah. And we actually thought we could do that that music like into our 60s. We were going to like do that the rest of our lives. Because to us, it was blues. But, yeah, um, the cows were much more in the moment. And it was the 90s then. 2000 was a whole different era. And I was older. And uh, I wasn't writing a, an extreme chemical antimatter protonic reversal sort of reaction <laughs> <laughs> in real time. Uh, yeah, because if you think the cows were crazy live, we were actually crazier in practice because we could be. <laughs> Once we closed the door to the practice space, we could do whatever the fuck we wanted. And we did. Yes. When you talk, I think last time about how much that cows practice was, you know, just as intense as the shows. Like it was still war. It's just it was a smaller uh, battlefield. To a certain yeah, degree. we weren't making war on people per se. We were just sort of yeah. Like I said, when we played together, it was it just exploded. I mean, we barely even we never even talked in practice hardly at all. We would just grind it out for three, four hours, three or four times a week, and because that was our idea of fun. Do you feel like you became a more confident vocalist over the years as you? Oh, as far as being able to, yeah, that was the other thing is the cows were so ungodly loud in practice and on stage. I could never hear myself singing and I would put my ear right up to the monitor. So uh, if I was falling out of key, I, I had to actually learn which specific vocal cords the right notes were and remember them when I was drunk in order to even get close like literal <clears throat> muscle memory <laughs> but uh yeah and by the way the cows practiced until my throat started bleeding that's when we called it i would spit in my hand every so often and if blood showed up it's like okay two more songs you guys and i gotta go my throat's bleeding again yeah that's, that's but the hair the hair on sheiks weren't quite as loud but since the cows was the only band I ever knew, there was a couple of rules about that. I only knew one way to do things, which was, yes, if you're going to be in this band, 
every practice is like we're playing in front of a thousand people and everything's on the line and it's the last night on earth yeah i'm gonna bounce around in here and get fucked up and do whatever i want and you guys can too that's rule a rule b i developed a little speech for new people but uh yeah rule b was your role is in to playing your instrument isn't that your part is interesting that's bullshit your part has to fit into the music if you get bored with your part that's too bad it's not meant to please you your individual part that's not what it's for this is a band third rule now if you're going to join this band here's the thing you have to want to be in not the best band on your block not the best band in this city and not in this state not even in america you have to be you have to actively want to be in the best band in the world if you're not up to that you're in the wrong band we might not actually ever fulfill this probably not but anybody worth their salt is like that's what they're trying to do right and yeah yeah they had to agree to that stuff <laughs> well and that's daunting you know as an elevator yeah. pitch some people are not gonna they're not gonna vibe with that or, or maybe they'll be intimidated by it or maybe they'll just think right. you're crazy especially when your only payoff is to tour the country in a little smelly van and half the time playing in front of nobody for no money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you might get your ass kicked in the bargain, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah some, exactly. Some audiences take what we do the wrong way. <laughs> Just as a bonus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or maybe that's the right way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you did you ever, ever have any reservations about uh, putting FDF uh, on the record, especially to close it out, or did that seem like that was the perfect thing to do? Uh, well... Yeah, it seemed like uh, that that was kind of a bummer of, a, of an album, so let's end with the funny one. Right. <laughs> yeah. But leave them laughing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll be the hit. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And, and anytime, you, anytime you put the joke song on, or quote-unquote, like the unserious one, like that's the one that always ends up being like the big breakout. <laughs> right, yeah. And I, the cause did that, too. We would... You know, we'd write a couple of really deep, dark, serious songs. And then it's like, you know what? I'm tired of that mood. Let's play a funny one. And we'd make up a funny one. Like, maybe two. And then, ah, that's enough funny ones for now. Let's do just a fast one. Like that. Right. That's Same thing with the heroin sheets. Yeah. Same sort of deal, even if, uh, even if it uh, comes out differently, right? So. Uh, so, yeah, it's different people, sure. Yeah. So Siamese sure. Pipe, that's, that's the next one. That was... Mm-hmm. Um, Which, by the way, Reptilian Records is going to be re-releasing in 2022. I just found that yesterday. Breaking news, breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. So very exciting. That, that's awesome stuff. So like the cows, and this is probably a bad idea, but the heroin cheeks tried to never stay in a motel. When we were in a town, we liked to stay with some of the locals and maybe party a little bit or maybe not, but more get the feel of the town and keep the party rolling. And so nightly would be treated to the spectacle of the following. Uh, Norman would come out of some room somewhere dressed in only a tiger striped speedo and pimp shoes, open toe <laughs> with no socks. And nothing else. That was it. 
and him and John would would light up a cigarillo and smoke it together and drink cheap red wine together. That was uh, how they bonded on tour. But uh, yeah, uh, Norman Westberg is a very eccentric character in like the best possible way. Yeah, he was not self-conscious even a little bit about that. <laughs> there could be 50 people at a party and he would just walk out in that outfit and sit down and put nothing was going on. Yep. And on he goes. <laughs> and on he goes. Another interesting story about him is several years into the band on tour, we were playing Kalamazoo, Michigan. And the crowd decided that they didn't like us before we even started playing because of someone very sweetly wrote in the urinal, these heroin sheiks are old. So anyway, we start playing and we're getting a little bit heckled by the audience so i said uh, hey norman that guy jumps on stage one more time i want you to kick him and he looked a little bit sheepish and he said um but shannon um this is live during a show by the way <laughs> in between songs <laughs> and he said but shannon um you might i was in the swans and you'll find this hard to believe but i have never struck another human being in anger like all right, well, this guy needs to be kicked, Norman, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to drag him on stage and bend him over, and you kick him in the ass. <laughs> so, all right, Shannon, I think I can do that. And yeah, halfway through the next song, uh, some guy's playing around on stage. I dragged him up, bent him over, and Norman kicked him, and he, he, he looked like a little kid that just got handed a popsicle or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> So did did you feel like? So that's a good question. Was would, do you think there was expectations of antics just because of the kind of show that you put on, the kind of show that the people kind of knew the cows from? Did you feel? Oh, like, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, antics are fun. <laughs> that's the way I do them. Well, actually, I told you last interview, but the real reason for all the antics was to keep. See, there's a trouble which increased through time of having it to really listen to music you got to be in that exact moment you can't be thinking about five seconds ago and you can't be thinking about five seconds from now you got to be exactly in the moment so the nature of the antics was to send conflicting signifiers it's called and thus to keep the audience in a perpetual state of unbalance and surprise so that they're in the moment so yes antics were expected but after a while, after noise rock <clears throat> sort of passed by and every weird thing was tried, uh, after about 10 seconds, people would say, ah, I know what these guys are. They're a crazy singer band. Ah, I, nah, I don't want it. Like that. So, yeah, that was a little, but I didn't know what else to do on stage, so I kept trying to do that. But, yeah, more and more as time went by, it didn't work anymore. That's Part of why I stopped doing music, and you know, that's why I stopped. It wasn't working anymore. What the heroin sheiks and the cows are specifically designed to do is to create a certain experience. After right. a while, people didn't want to have that experience anymore. And you can't force them to. But if they don't even want that, then uh, yeah, you, you you just it becomes an act of futility. Yeah. Well, certainly. And then so then that takes us back to where you're at you know post Siamese pipe you've I think this is this is about when you've got that tour 
coming up with um, Gibby. Gibby was it Gibby and his and his. I forget oh, the, the Gibby name. Haynes experience. Gibby Haynes yes. experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you, you're sitting there as basically. Are you like? Are you thinking? Oh, I need to get some of those one man band like symbols that I can slap to my. Like, you're the oh, only no, one left, I didn't right? affect what we did at all. In fact, quite the opposite. <clears throat> See, the story about the, that tour we did with them was is that they were already well into the tour, and they weren't getting along anymore to such an extent that the opening band wanted to quit, and even that band was only hanging together by a thread. Now, I kind of knew Gibby from around New York. I had seen him. And in fact, I witnessed a few times the sad spectacle of Gibby Haynes trying to get into a club for free. I mean, why shouldn't he? He's Gibby Haynes. And the doorman's like, Gibby Haynes, never heard of you. And like, with Gibby standing right there, I went off on the kid. And I'm like, you don't don't know who this is? Dude, this is Gibby fucking Haynes. I mean, pull your head out of your ass and let the guy in. What the fuck's the matter with you? And, And like that. They, they let him in. So uh, I already knew Gibby that way. And, you know, I suppose he was somewhat aware of the music I was doing. But anyway, we uh, on short, kind of short notice, we ended up hooking up with that band. Now, the attendance to the individual shows was actually pretty sparse, which was probably why they were all fighting, besides Gibby being a very eccentric person. And, uh, yeah, one day... Early in the tour, we're, we had our merch tape set up, and he walks up, looks at the, all of our CDs, and, which one's the good one? Like that. <laughs> yeah, okay, I know how this is. But anyway, we would play as the openers. We even had a sparser crowd. and, and But every night, his band would come out and watch us. And, yeah, we always played like it was the da- last day on earth. We didn't care if anybody was there, if they like it or they don't like it. We do our show. And, uh, yeah, we'd leave the stage and they would get up and do their thing. And that would be the night. Now, about halfway through the tour, I was waiting to play and I was outside the club and it was pitch black. And I saw a figure in the darkness and it was Gibby Haynes. And he was kind of feeling in the dumps. We hadn't talked a whole lot because I was doing a whole bunch of weird shit. (laughs) Because uh, I'll get back to where this part of the story. But, yeah, the whole tour, since there didn't seem to be any dressing rooms anywhere, and I don't like people looking at me and getting an idea of what I'm going to do. So I started doing this act like I had really bad ADD. I would walk all over the club since I had nowhere to hide. And I would keep touching the same spot over and over again without, you know, like I was something wrong with me and not only that since at that stage i was getting pretty old to be going on at midnight i would take instant coffee everybody every place gives you free water so i would dump a bunch of that coffee in there shake it up (laughs) and drink it right before we went on which gibby observed so yeah he thought i was a pretty weird guy (laughs) and uh so i saw him back to where we were i saw him outside and i said gibby why so down? He's like, uh, this is just terrible. It sucks. I said, well, Gibby, you know, it's not my place to say it, but like, you're the man. I mean, you're Gibby fucking Haynes. People want you to stop looking at that little board of yours, look them in the eye, and just fucking be Gibby Haynes. Right. I mean, if 
if you just did a, a little two-step for two seconds, the audience would fall down and, and, and they'd go nuts. This is like long pause. Really? <laughs> yes, they're paying to see Gibby Haynes. And, and you're all locked into your little soundboard. And, and yeah, just engage with them just a little, not a lot, just a little bit. And uh, you'll be fine. You'll see. And that night he actually did that. And the crowd went nuts. And, and he dug that for a little while. But by the end of the tour, he, uh, I guess he must have decided that that was selling out or or you know I, i'm not gonna get up there and wiggle my ass and all that kind of stuff so he went back to to looking at his board again but yeah it was it was kind of an odd experience because yeah the butthole surfers were after seeing them and him and his clothes pins and his dick tucked between his legs and all that shit I'm like holy fuck music can be this yeah maybe someday i'll do this but uh yeah so it was weird talking to him that way. Yeah. But after the tour, it ended in Texas, Houston. And it was an okay crowd, but not great. And But they still had two days left of the tour. And we already started the drive home, and we got a call from them. And they really wanted us to come and play the last two shows. And they would double our money. And, and we probably would have did it, but we were already in like you know georgia or something so but uh yeah i don't know how that went for them but yeah i would have did it but yeah that was a that was a really weird experience i would imagine so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> did you find that one well, and also let's you know let's set the stage right that like this is this is post butthole surfers having what might seem unorthodox to people that were from there for them from the beginning a hit you know a, a uh, yeah hit, i don't know right? if gibby haynes experience was doing well and that well i just like tour with gibby haynes yeah of course yeah. i want to do that it's interesting and, uh, yeah I, I don't really care about the rest of it but like i said we always played every night like our backs were against the wall and uh yeah after i, I think that kind of rejuvenated you know, the musicians that were playing with them were kind of struggling with that kind of thing. And uh, I, I think we might have helped them out a little bit, morale-wise. Yeah. Because nobody liked us. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we did it anyway. Who cares? <laughs> care if they like us or not. What's that have to do with me? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, then after that, did you did you find that to be a learning experience then, as far as you know why why you're you know why you're doing it why you're continuing to do it what you were hoping to accomplish or did you kind of feel like you already knew all no that I just no uh, the beginning and end of it was like I I had to give Gibby Haynes the man I had to give him a pep talk wow that's heavy. Yeah. Because I myself was struggling you know it's right. hard to do that every night and I was outside with my. I always play a couple songs before we hit the stage just to inspire me. I think at that point I was playing uh, Blue Flowers and I'm Destructive by Dr. Octodon. Oh, <laughs> That's wow. what I hit the stage after. And uh, I had just finished listening to that when, uh, right before I, I ran into Gibby. But yeah, it was like, uh, I got to go in and entertain these folks and do a number for them. This kind of is a drag. But yeah, well, you signed, signed up for it. You got to do it. People are paying to see this shit, and 
yeah, do I, and furthermore, I mean, do I look like a guy who gives a fuck what people think? <laughs> no, I hope not. Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so then begets the recently reissued uh, to a, to a, this people that maybe missed it the first time or weren't around for the first time. Uh, the out of Africa, right? Out That's of Africa. It's a combination of Africa and America and the out of Africa theory and how American pop culture was sort of like uh, migrated out of America and took over the whole world. It's it's a very scientific joke. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also very difficult to say, and I had never heard it uh, spoken aloud uh, before the show. Yeah, nothing mixes <laughs> quite like noise rock and anthropology. Trust. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so very briefly, can you give me? I mean, it's, it's obviously it's an anthropological thing, but the whole out of Africa, yeah, concept. Can you give, give the listeners? Not me, I know, of course, but like for the yes. listeners. I named one of the continents Caucasia, for Caucasia, obviously, and, and like that, yes. Very scientific. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, satirical. There's South Caucasia, too, you know, East Caucasia, South Caucasia. Yeah, I ran out of, I ran out of puns, so yeah, I repeated myself. <laughs> Besides, Australia is kind of officially a white country now, so yeah. It's out of Africa, sure. <laughs> they like rock and roll and all that shit. So ultimately, the 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 heroin cheeks as the band is beside yourself, hundred percent turnover at this point. Like it's all all folks that weren't around at the beginning. But I mean, the record sounds yes. very vital. Like it's got a. And once again, I put the word out, and once again, I lucked out and got some really good people. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, Martin Ross is the first guy I talked to. And, He's a tough guy, see? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he uh, he had a very serious sit-down with me in a bar for, like, a couple of hours, feeling me out. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a big, mean-looking, uh, intense guy. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess I passed muster. He agreed to do it. But, uh, yeah, he, he's really good. Yes. <laughs> well, and it, it doesn't sound like in any way, shape, or form, like a band in trouble or on the ropes or anything along those lines. It's, it's. I mean, I, I, I think should it, hope not. It, it no, almost. I, I give tough auditions. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, it seems like you found the people that you gave your very challenging, uh, you know, int- <laughs> entrance interview. I guess you would call it <laughs> when you were talking to yeah. people with the band. You found the right in, folks, right? In fact, yeah, to get a guitar player. I would put them through the following test. There's a song called Brooklyn Town Romeo, which is a really kind of weird, complicated riff, <laughs> guitar riff. Right. And a lot of guys, uh, I would play it for them, and they would just look at me like, are you serious? Are you serious? <laughs> you want me to play that? And I, Damn right I do. You better, get, <laughs> you better do it well, because, yeah, this is your test, dude. <laughs> right. Like, like if you if you if you can get through those and get through the things that maybe you'll find more in your wheelhouse or whatever, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh uh, yeah, if they, yeah, if they could play that song, yeah, they can play anything. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I did that with bass players too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, so let's do. Uh, so, since this is the one that, uh, and of course, uh, it's available Reptilian Records, Reptilian Records at yes. Um Chris X, yes. Chris X has re released this excellent record. Uh, and he did the first one too. So, everything goes in a circle. So, let's just do, let's do this thing that I do sometimes in the show where we just kind of go through each of the songs and you can kind of tell me a little bit about each one, you know, whether it's uh, lyrically, you know, conceptually, if there's some memories, some along those lines. So first one is a stab by an angel. Yes. So that conceptually was, is on the keyboard setting for trombone. I, (laughs) I wrote the, you know, the basic trombone riff that floats through it. And then after that, uh, one day we were waiting for Soundcheck to play a show in Brooklyn, and the line came to me uh, about uh, who was that? I, I am, I am the Eggman or whatever that whole thing. Yeah, like, it's like okay, I'm saving that for a song. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, the the song is sort of conception of it is is what what if when Jesus was wait you know about to be born what if the guy renting out the manger to him was actually the devil (laughs) yes so yeah that's what the lyrics are sort of about i I jammed that theme in there yeah that's one way to take it did you have an idea that that was going to be the first song of the record uh yeah well uh, I waited. I always wait till we're done recording, and then sort of write it like uh, a continuous set list. With uh, you know, you start out with the bang, and then you build it this way, and then you change tempo a little bit, and come back hard, and and like that. So, uh, yeah, I am. Wait, I am. Yahweh's leg man. I am. Wait, uh, no, I am Satan's leg man. I am Yahweh's dealer. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> uh, so, of course, after that, we have uh, Cock Asia. Oh, uh, yes. That was uh, just sort of a commentary and the, the brutalness of an immigrant moving to America. Yes. And then at the end, sort of a, a punch at the at the boomer generation. You guzzled freedom, but now you want your kids to sip. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's kind of a serious one. But, yeah, it begins the uh, immigrant works here, and they put you to work and menial labor, and then you have to take a bunch of abuse for a generation or two before you're an American. And, and yeah, that's what that song's about. Did you ever feel... Like, like, did you, did you, did you feel like that was a natural thing to write about, or did you have an explicit kind of like, hey, this is uh... kind of just fit the song? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it seemed like, yeah, I just do that. Whatever the song sounds like, whatever vibe that gives off, that's kind of the direction I try to go off. Or it's opposite, just to kind of throw people off and keep them in the moment. Sure. Something sounds funny, but it's you know, like open you up. That sounds like a little poppy song, but it's kind of not. Until you you listen closely to what's being being said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, How about you to ta? Which is play on coup d'etat, I would assume, right? Uh, Oh, yeah. You to ta is just uh, 
sort of like breaking up with someone as overthrowing the government, I guess you could say. It's a you d'etat. I know whose ring you've been kissing and it's more than your land that I'll be taking and stuff like that. <laughs> that's what that song is. That's a catchy one too. That's a, that's, that's a, I think that, that seems to be like a, a favorite of a lot of folks on that record. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Break up. I did it. Next? Oh, break up was just—I don't know—so many people that I knew. Just you know, I don't mind hearing about somebody else's like fights and and, and all that, but like about the hundredth time, it's like just fucking break up already. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking break up. So yeah, I take all the characters. I take his side and her side and my side. That is a Three thing. characters, yeah. That that is absolutely a thing too. Like people like you know choosing sides and yeah, you, know, you get this friend. Yeah. It's like you divvy up the books, you divvy up the records, you divvy up the friends. Right, fighting like two dinosaurs rolling down a hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we have the aforementioned Brooklyn Town Rodeo. Yeah, every once in a while, every so often, I just like to write a song like the old blues guys you know like the cows that song one of them was mine where i own the entire world and yeah brooklyn town romeo was actually uh there's a germ song i forget which one it sounds like he's saying the term brooklyn town romeo i am better like that so i thought that would be a good song title seeing as i lived in brooklyn and then the rest of it i'm just bragging about what a, a big stud lover man i am because that's what breaking songs do yeah <laughs> of course yeah naturally <laughs> uh next, next next up is pillow talk which features some some guest appearances by some very famous actors oh yeah pillow talk see uh there was a song on the first album i forget which one but uh, uh since new york has a lot of dance clubs in it the conception of that song was that I thought that it would, if I could get that to a DJ, that could become a big dance hit. Kind of, it's got that really got thick groove. bass line yeah. and, and some samples of uh, Dennis Hopper, talk, you know, from Blue Velvet, talked about, oh, fuck anything that moves. And that uh, Bruce and Campbell. And the guy says, groovy. that's just pillow talk, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. I think in an alternate universe that could have been a dance hit, you know. Why not? Why couldn't? Yes. Uh, did you? Maybe even in this one, uh, I couldn't you... find a DJ. <laughs> I was gonna say I don't know who you find these days, but yeah, it is first time on vinyl, right? Uh, Reptilianrecords.com. Uh, this was nah, never... actually I did find a DJ that worked in a big club that was actually gonna play it, and then uh, somebody in New York kind of backstabbed me. <laughs> They ended up not playing it. That's a bummer. I won't get into that whole story because it would involve busting people. Some of the listeners might think highly of. Gotcha. <laughs> and there's no point in that. The names will be changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Sure. <laughs> uh, Jaws of Life. Oh, yeah. I've sort of. That's just kind of part of my existence because. Uh, well. In my youth, I was a nature survivalist who would go out into the wilderness with a knife 
and a blanket and a piece of flint and kind of live off the land. And that's a, it's a very grim existence, but like you got to be in the moment all the time and you can't let things get you down. You got to keep searching for food and you got to chop firewood and you got, you got to do all that stuff. So along those lines, that grim level of existence, when I moved to New York, I was really worried that uh, I would get swallowed up and destroyed because New York is a big uncaring city. And the way I thought of it was, it's like when you watch a nature documentary and there's some 20 foot long fish and maybe a littler fish swims too close and it just very absentmindedly just, just eats it. Nobody cares. <laughs> even the guy, even the fish doing the eating doesn't give it a second thought. And that's kind of how I, I thought about New York in a way. And yeah, so I wrote a song about that phenomenon, the jaws of life. They're always swimming out there. You don't want to let them get close enough to snap you up. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Mr. Innocence after that. Uh, Mr. Innocent. Well, it's kind of a it's kind of a political phenomenon in America. <clears throat> Something that Americans seem to be attached to is the concept of innocence, as in why I didn't know the black neighborhood was so vicious, and I didn't know this other thing was going on, and I didn't know this other thing was going on. Why I'm innocent, and when a child's growing up. The parents work very hard to protect what? The child's innocence. Well, in a Jaws of Life world, you don't have a right to your innocence. That's that's just right. another word for ignorance in my book. So uh, 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 that's what I wrote that song about, Mr. Innocent. I'm tired of hearing your bullshit about how innocent you are. You're not. <laughs> did, did you... Uh... Did you feel the time? How did you feel at the time for your own sort of innocence and <laughs> being in this sort of uh, who you know world where you're trying to do your best and you're putting out your best work and it almost just doesn't matter at all to a lot of these folks? Oh, no, I wasn't thinking that. That phenomenon is more like the jaws of life, you know, swallow or be swallowed. Now, Mr. Innocent was more like nationally it's an american thing to america thinks it's innocent of I mean, the cia is out there murdering people and overthrowing <laughs> governments right, and yeah. all this shit and you tell a regular american about that and wow i didn't know we're, i have no idea i'm innocent we were yeah. bringing them freedom shannon hadn't you heard i did hear that yes but <laughs> the reviews were terrible yeah, we, we brought you <laughs> freedom so free. you burned our village out yeah but you're free now so it's, it's, it's better. Yes, it's just collateral damage. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, through is after that. Ah, oh, yes. So, yes. Uh, that is a song about people that you're vaguely aware of. Maybe a glimpse through a window, you see a little girl. Or maybe some other time you see a mean man in there. But what it's about is... A man who has a daughter, and when she's very little girl, he sells her into prostitution. And, uh, yeah, I believe you say that he has the morals of a greasy sack or something like that. But, uh, yeah, and then uh, 
So he destroys her life, and then at the end, of the the punchline is, yeah, his his first. She was his second daughter. I say that through the song. His first daughter had it even worse. She was the center of his whole universe. And then, after that, there's a long instrumental part where Martin Ross plays what I think is one of the most beautiful guitar parts ever written by anyone. It's so, a very cool part, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that's what that song is about. And I think uh, that solo totally captures it. Are you a big fan? But, of like it? I said, part of this thing is uh, with music, you try to give people an experience. And uh, yeah, I don't know how many people want the experience of listening about that little girl, but yeah, there it is. <laughs> yes. Sometimes people Sorry. don't want to think about they, they they say they want to think about it. But they don't want to think about certain things when it's yes, too dark. Protecting their innocence. Yes. Yeah. Ah, yes. Very good. <laughs> very good. Uh so after that we have the obscenery, which features a pretty excellent vocal performance. Uh yeah. Well, kind of <clears throat> Lou Reed almost. What's that? Almost kind of Lou Reedish at his best. Yeah, yeah Lou Reedish or Iggyish or something. I'll cop to that. But, uh, yeah, that song was, you know, I had the riff sitting around for a long time on the piano. But I was in a relationship, and one day my girlfriend asked me, like, how come you've never written a song about me? I said, have you listened to any of my albums? <laughs> you don't want that. But so I just, I, I decided to write one kind of pretty about us going, holding hands and it's uncharacteristic, but yeah, it's something different. I like it. Yeah, and it's. I think it could have been on the radio. I don't think I swear or anything. I, I was gonna say it, it. It could have had a larger, a larger impact, maybe in a in a different time, a little earlier, a little late, maybe uh, yeah, for that. But yeah, sure. So maybe some kid will pick it up in ten years and it'll take off. You never know. You never know. So then. That brings us to, I would say, one of the best use of uh, the Manamana songs in uh, any <laughs> recording. <laughs> one of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a small club, as it turns out, uh, which is a harmonic fix. Right. So, yeah, there's a keyboard sound in there that I've been monkeying around with for a few years. And we needed to fill a couple more minutes on the album and... And uh, me and the producer were monkeying around in the studio early with nobody there. And I said, uh, yeah, check this sound out. Said, wow. And then he said, uh, what are you going to do with it? And so the Howard Stern show used to have a regular caller who was insane. He would get on the show and he would just, the only thing he ever did in a very mellow FM voice was say, I am Dr. Remulak. I am Dr. Remulak. I am Dr. Remulak. I am Dr. And Howard Stern would like talk over the top of him. And the guy would never stop until Howard Stern hung up on him. So that's the first part of the song, Dr. Remulak. And then uh, I turned it into, yeah, the Manamana song. And, and uh, I had a friend of mine come in and, and do the female voices. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, and then so that that ends the record proper. But you do have a, a title track, but it's like a hidden track. Yeah, 
that was a song that I also had written a long time ago, and uh, it's really different from anything I'd done before, and I still wasn't feeling super comfortable with it. So I put it on as a bonus track, which I regret now very much. But uh, yeah, and not only that, I, I got into a fight with Martin Ross about Marty. I, I, I didn't like the guitar part he did. And I regret that too, because now I, he was right. I really like it a lot now. and can't even imagine a different. You, but that's uh, a really good song. I wish I would have put it in the band album a lot. Yeah. Do you feel like that's something that happens a lot with you that you look back on things and just as a different person later on you view it? No, nah, not a lot, but once in a while, yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> yes, I, uh, yeah, I don't. Since I always try to do my best, whatever I'm doing, I, I, yeah, I don't have a lot of regrets. Not to say I didn't hurt some people because I didn't know better, but yeah, I know better now. Question from the chat box. Were you in New York City during 9-11? I sure was. Yes. It was it was crazy. I was I was laying in bed one morning and sleeping late, as musicians do, and there was a hard knock on my door. I said, What do you want? And I said, Your girlfriend's on the phone. Tell her to call me back later. About thirty seconds after that, yeah, there was another pound and uh, he said, it's World War Three. Get the fuck out of bed. <laughs> and, uh, I, I shouldn't and laugh. So I got out. and I, the, the, the street I happened to live on in Long Island City at that time had a diagonal street. So all I had to do was walk out into the middle of the a street. And I could see that, yes, the buildings were on fire. And uh, that was very alarming. So my idea was is to go straight to her house, which is like right straight across the river from the Twin Towers, and uh, so I, I started running, and I want to catch a cab. I thought, this is like a two-mile run. <laughs> it's pretty far, but there wasn't a cab to be seen. I'm like, that's weird. Well, here's a cab company right here, and I actually went inside of a big building where a lot of cab drivers were sitting at a table, and they happened to be Muslim, and I said, can I get a cab? And they looked at me like I was insane. And I don't blame them. They said, oh, no, we, uh, we're not driving today. And I said, uh, yeah, I, uh, okay, I get that. So I ran the rest <laughs> right. of the way through the house. Uh, oddly enough, even though the buildings were burning right in front of them, everybody was, about six people were gathered around the TV set watching them burn. <laughs> they were like right across the river burning, which is an odd phenomenon. Yeah, and then it. after that, she told me that she found out because her upstairs neighbors had spent the night on the roof smoking really strong weed and the sun came up and they were still laying around on lawn chairs smoking weed and and yeah they saw the, f the first plane oh <laughs> into the building. wow and they looked at each other and long pause like uh did you see a jet fly into the twin towers <laughs> uh, yeah i did did you and like, yeah like that wow. and then the second one hit and they knew it was real but yeah wow talk about being paranoid when you're smoking weed <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's like the worst <laughs> being high story ever <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh man, that's that's harsh. Yeah, hor- obviously a horrible day. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was crazy, and yeah, we were close enough where papers from the buildings were floating in, and nobody knew what the fuck was going on. Bush had his thumb in his ass, and then he like disappears into the sky somewhere. Like, yeah. What the fuck's going on? Is it World War Three or not? <laughs> Just I want answers, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Because this this is a pretty thick brick building, but I want to be somewhere better than this and further away. Yes. See, I'm so paranoid about the jaws of life. I always worried that if some kind of shit went down, I'd be stuck on a fucking island. <laughs> That's true, though. Yeah. yeah That's be. not a good place to be when all the shit, like, you know, society's falling apart and all that shit. You don't want to be stuck on an island. Be able to run to where it's safe countryside somewhere exactly which is not not new york <laughs> no not new york no um so that that actually bookends well with sort of the end of the new york chapter of the heroin sheiks you know about 2006 uh, yeah, yeah, right? right? the heroin sheiks new york eventually even fell apart and then i'm like well I've given it the go college try and beat my head up against the wall for six years. This isn't working. <laughs> so in New York, there's a thing where, you know, it's, it, it's really expensive. I call it the dream tax because everybody there has a dream that they're trying to do and they're willing to pay big rent on it. And uh, I was like, well, and plus, you know, Anybody in New York, if you don't have three big projects going on at once, they think you're a fucking asshole. So uh, <laughs> that was my big project at the time. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I staying here for? I might as well go back to Minneapolis because that's where my parents live. And I don't want to be stuck on an island if one of them dies. And I'm too much of a, a, a dumbass and, and too poor to fly back in. Uh, yeah, I'll just go back to Minneapolis. That's why I went back. And so you end up keeping the uh, heroin cheese going. You have uh, the guy from Stunning, uh, Jesse on bass, and um, Paul from Hammerhead, right? Once again, yes, I put the word out, and I lucked out that just all the best players were wanting to do it. And again, I put the name up for a vote. This is a different band from top to bottom. How about we change the name? And I got voted down again. So. <laughs> they weren't looking for it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, they hadn't actually lived the experience of being in a band called that. And, and you know, people don't, a lot of people won't even talk about it or review it because it has that bad word in it. So. But you think heroin's funny? That's That's just terrible. <laughs> What are you, a fascist or something? But, but but yeah, but then go back to the, like, you got to spell it out. No, it's H-E-R-O-I-N. Hello? 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 Again, yeah, if I got to spell it, it yeah, I've already lost. Kids, take note. <laughs> Make sure you don't have to spell your band name. Or I tried even pronouncing it different for a while. I didn't know. What's the name of your band? The Heroine Sheiks. Like, what the fuck is heroin? I never heard it. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> Oh, that's that's that's. Oh, heroin. That's a terrible. Oh, word. okay. No, heroin. It's up with women and shit. Oh, all right. Fuck. I give up. <laughs> but yeah, we gave it again. Uh, I didn't know that we would end up 
kind of not working out as quickly as we did. And uh, so I decided to put out an album that was kind of more just straight rock and roll, kind of to cleanse the palate for yeah. the next one that was going to be more fucked up. But never got a shot at that one. Because, uh, yeah, one day we played a show and it was okay attended, but it was a small place. And after the show, Paul Sanders, walk, you know, he walks up to me and he looks me in the eye. Serious as God. He says, uh, Shannon, answer me one question. Yeah, Paul. He said, who do you think your audience is supposed to be? Who's your audience? You know what, Paul? I never thought of that. I don't know. <laughs> exactly, he said. Yes. I said, and, uh, yeah, we didn't last more than a couple weeks after that. Oh, yep. man. I didn't, yeah, I, uh, people started falling off, and uh, I didn't fight it. And, and putting together bands that stay together is obviously not more my forte. So I'm really hard to work with them. I mean... Really, I have to practice like it's the end of the fucking world with you bouncing around like an idiot and all that. Like, yeah, nah, that's just too much. <laughs> and plus, yeah, you know, music is a community now and everybody's in a couple of bands. Like, what? You have material you can't use here? Who says so? Use it. What are you in another band for? <laughs> I'm old school that way. Yeah, so I mean, th th there's certainly interest in you know some folks in the chat box were asking if you were, um, you know, had any music you're doing now, if you had any current projects or anything on the agenda. Oh no, I am, I, I am, I'm, I won't even, I don't even play on the keyboards or the horns or anything anymore, because if I write a great song on the keyboards, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to want that song to be born. And to do that, I need a band because I don't know anything about the studio and I don't care because I just like playing live, see? So it's like uh, the whole idea of putting another band together and kicking out another album at my age and putting all that. I can, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can still do it if I want, but why would I want to? Uh, I, I'm not interested in being a nostalgia act whatsoever uh still just not my thing that's why uh, getting the cows back together was so hard when we did it because none of us is in the nostalgia uh, i don't like that emotion it makes me uncomfortable so uh, there's not really any reason to do it i mean i, I had more fun than god it should have been illegal but yeah it's uh yeah nobody wants to have that experience anymore except maybe nostalgia which you know, I went to a show that was just the craziest fucking show, and there was people out there, like, on their cell phone, <laughs> and people pointing their cell phone, like the Twin Towers, like, the Twin Towers are right in front of you, dude, look at it, <laughs> don't hold up your phone to it, you're not in the moment, and if I was, if I had been on stage when that happened, I would have taken that cell phone and stepped on it without even thinking about it. And that would have been a thing. And what I do on stage now is probably considered illegal and, and against the rules. And that would get in big trouble. And yeah, I can't, if I can't do exactly what I want to do on stage, I don't want to do anything at all up there. That's all. So yeah, there's no reason to do that. And yeah, the rest, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's why I don't do music. 
Because if I write a song, it has to be born, and then I'm back in that whole train again. And I'm too old to tour in little vans because it's uh, pretty hard living. Because, yeah, I drink a lot on the road and smoke and all that shit, like way too much. So, again, if it's not going to do anything, well, like, why should I do it? Is yeah, that a good it's, answer? it's hard to kind of muster up the enthusiasm on something if you're not going to be able to do it the way you want to do it, too. I mean, uh, yeah, because if I, yeah, you know, to me, I'm a real simple guy. And yeah, being live on stage should be getting, it should be like getting buck wild when you're having sex. You don't want to think about nothing. You just fucking do your best and hang on for the ride. <laughs> if I can't do that on stage, I don't want to do anything. I don't, I'm not into scientific fucking or entertainment fucking or nothing like that. Fucking is fucking and entertainment is entertainment. If you can blend the two, that's pretty cool. And I did for a while, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's just how that goes. Did you find when, when doing those, the shows, uh, the Grumpy shows and whatnot with the cow, the cows with the Z, uh, I think we talked, we might have talked about this last time, so bear with me if we're repeating. We only did that once, yeah. It, yeah. And that took like negotiating peace in the Middle East to do that one. I really lucked out and. The dudes in uh, Paul Sanders and Paul Erickson from Hammerhead agreed to like just learn the parts and uh, you know imagine trying to learn Thor's parts from <laughs> listening to the record. I mean, pretty pretty unique player to begin with, but yeah, it's uh, as you mentioned, you're not exactly featuring parts; you're featuring songs, right? So it's sort of like, what is it? Was it doing there? <laughs> right, it's impossible. I mean, Thor writes blues turned inside out, and he does it on yeah. purpose. And like, yeah, there's no way anybody can figure that shit out. So yeah, he was a brave guy to even try it. And Paul Erickson was even braver because he learned all of Kevin's parts on the bass, so we could rehearse. And he didn't even get to play live and take the credit for it. So yeah, that was pretty awesome. I never thought they'd agree to it in a million years, but I had to pitch it and. Yeah, they were immediately eager to do it. So that's how that happened. I can't do that again. It's <laughs> no a lot way. of effort. Yeah. And unless, you know, I never thought we could pull it off without Thor, Kevin, and I together and that chemical reaction. And, uh, yeah, we I, I think we got pretty close. Uh, Paul Sanders is a pretty wild guy, and, and so is Paul Erickson, so... Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think we did a good job on that. But to do it again is pretty literally impossible. Yes. Did you find it? Was yeah, oh. Kevin lives in California. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. this re regionalism alone, uh, especially for somebody. And the cows despise nostalgia, and and uh, yeah, so the uh, yeah, it's a it's emotionally kind of a tricky thing to pull off too. Did you find that it was mostly? like folks from back in the day, like like older folks on it, or was there kind of some of these? And the reason why I ask that is because there's kind of this new crop of kids, and I'm calling them kids, right, but they're not actually yeah. kids, that are, they, they never got to see a lot of these bands the first time around, and but they love the music. They love the records. They they, they find, um, they, they found Well, you know, that's interesting them. you bring that up, because somebody else told me, a young person, that uh, there's like a secret, group of young people out there way in the ground that gets together at parties and plays just like noise like feedback and and shit like that and it's a real small little scene but 
it's growing and and apparently in that scene the cows are like a big thing so so oh yeah i remember who told me that now but he told me his daughter was in that oh particular wow subculture nice. and that it was actually pretty big and uh he he bawled me out because i haven't been very good at collecting royalties from the internet and all that stuff and i said yeah you're right i, I have no head for business and another reason i quit music is because half of it is selling yourself on the internet now which is the most boring fucking thing in the universe i don't want to make music and then do fucking homework <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the worst man yeah it's oh <laughs> yeah i have to uh, i have to put on my salesman cap now and yeah, yeah gross nah it's not for me it's, it's like a, uh, if it's for other people, more power to them. It's not how my head works. Yeah, projectile vomiting from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to do it. And that was the other thing, you know, when the heroin sheiks were starting up, is that all the new, you know, all the new bands with young kids in them, they love that shit. And not only were they willing to work hard on the internet for free, they were willing to play for free. Like, how am I yeah. supposed to compete with that? And then, then after a while, it got to, it got to be so. If you weren't willing to go on the internet for three hours a day, you couldn't even be in a band, or, unless you hired someone else to do it and all that. Yeah, I hate showbiz. The passion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, you know, the cows came up in a subculture, and that was a subculture that wanted certain things, and uh, you know, it was kind of. It was a loser. So it was a subculture for losers, basically. I mean, no offense, but yeah, it was a subculture that glorified losers. It's punk rock. Look at that sub pop. More of a loser than a than a yeah. It was a bigger loser than a punk. As the movement started up, that was the whole point of it, and we became a part of that. That subculture is dead and gone. So uh, yeah, but there is different. So so counterpoint. There is a subculture that is different than it was then, mm-hmm. right? That still celebrates the music and sees it, you know, with whatever the modern context is. I mean, the fact that, like, a song like Hitting the Wall uh-huh. can, can, like, strike a chord with, like, a 17-year-old now if they, you know, happen, manage to happen upon it, if, they, if the Spotify algorithm deems it so. Uh, well, you know, there's something to be said the for thing. that. That's the thing, though. Like, the cows and the heroin sheiks, I mean, we live in a time and a place. Now, we actually, the idea behind the music actually was is that you know we're in this subculture we're we're of it but we're actually trying to make music that is timeless that you know back then nobody is before nirvana hit nobody thought that they were going to get rich or be a rock star it never occurred to anyone so we tried to make music that that was timeless that like we may fail we may lose but maybe 30 or 40 years from now, some alienated kid will pick this up and they'll get it. If, if you know, the larger culture right now isn't getting it, maybe somebody in the future will get it. And uh, yeah, like that. So I was happy, you know, I was surprised when I heard about that subculture. But yeah, I kind of figured it would happen someday. I'm just surprised it's happening so soon. Yeah, it seems like all the cycles are happening sooner now, right? Like everything's 
<laughs> just cycling quicker than it ever used to. Like it took ten years for uh, hey everybody, rock is back, and now it's like every three years. I feel like maybe if that. Yeah, I don't think the nature of this particular subculture is nostalgic, but you know, like the punks, we listened to the old blues guys who lived with their dukes and did whatever they wanted, and and we liked that. And someday some kids will listen to it, and it'll be brand new to them. They won't have any idea the actual stuff that inspired it. But and maybe they don't they, care. Wherever they are in life right now, they will get that part of it, and and, and nobody ever heard of us. So yeah, you, there's that cool thing where you're playing a band that nobody ever heard of, and they were ahead of their time, and and uh, yeah, that's all you can hope for, really. Well, and there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, if you're if you're making music that's not meant to be purposefully ephemeral, then the idea is even if you're not finding your audience immediately, doesn't mean you can't find it later. Yeah, that's why, generally speaking, we didn't play political music, because that dates something. Not yeah. that we weren't political at all. It's, it's, it, it just dates you. Yeah, it's true. So uh, we played around with it metaphorically, but, you know, and but very few cow songs are about politics, per se, for that reason. It would date it. Yeah, if you if you if you're doing rock against Reagan, you're you're like it's a punchline to a joke at this point. You're like that was a hundred thousand years ago, but like, right? <laughs> it right probably best, seems great at the time. It's nostalgia, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Referencing a comedic bit on Saturday Night Live or something, right? Uh yeah, yeah, and it got to be cliche even back then. After a while, people stopped doing it, but uh, yeah, I, it, uh, we're just a little subculture and. Uh, Ronald Reagan ain't anywhere in earshot, so what am I singing about? <laughs> <laughs> well, Shannon, uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. It's it's. Oh, we're done already. Yeah, hey, yeah. Fun. It's time, it's time to time to time to wrap it up. Um, again, for folks that maybe haven't heard it, there's a, another episode uh, two hundred six, uh, I believe, where we go into even more in depth in the cows. But it's always a pleasure to to hear your thoughts. I think Heroin Cheeks is a band that, like, like okay. If you would, so let's 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 throw out this scenario. Say there's money, suspend disbelief. Say there's money for a heroin cheeks reunion. What lineup would you do? Uh, I couldn't say. I've never even thought about that for an instant. So that would be that would be. Uh, uh, I guess it probably would end up being whoever agreed to it for some <laughs> for some reason. Do some mix and matching. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everybody was top-notch in their own way. And, uh, yeah, if, uh, if that ever happened, technically speaking, I suppose it would be with the Minneapolis people, since that's where I am, if they would agree to such a thing. That, that was logistically easy for sure. But anyway, that was just a derivation. I was, I was, I was just thinking about that because it's, there's like almost um, – this. You're, you're, you may not love this analogy, but it's almost like King Crimson or something. Where it's like, oh, what what lineup of King Crimson? You know, like there's different eras that are oh so different from each other. So, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. I think uh, not I'm musically, not, but just uh, in, you got it all over me in rock history and, uh, that way. But 
Uh, yeah, there's some bands that have been through a lot of people. I mean, Black Flag just went through a big problem with that a few years ago, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was two of them. Yeah, I was going to say they, they managed to do the thing that's the Spinal Tap-esque cliche and have two different versions of the band going at uh, different times. So that's a different podcast. and that's a... Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> <Different> <laughs> this one's out of time, I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> Shannon, uh, thank you so much, man. This this is uh, It's been great, and I think everyone one should you know, go to reptilian pick up uh pick up the reissue um out of afurica 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 it rhymes with america Afer- yes. out of afurica okay there you go now now i'm gonna get it again if i have to pronounce it <laughs> <laughs> not so great seemed like a good idea at the time because i've been in anthropology but yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, just uh, America and worldwide, Conan is the best. You should always listen to his show. To the extent I sounded like a halfway intelligent person, it's because of his insightful questions. So there well, you go. You you flattered me, sir, and I, I will I will certainly let you do that. But I, I appreciate. Yeah, I'm not even getting Eddie Haskell about it or anything. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's always a pleasure. I'm very glad to hear that uh, there's another reissue coming from that. I think those heroin cheeks records are, are great, and I think not enough people have listened yeah. to them. So I hope they it's an opportunity for people to check that out too. Matter of what, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Conan. Maybe I'll form another band and play out and make a couple albums just so we could do an interview about it. <laughs> That that is the longest game for the smallest reward I've ever heard of. That's amazing. You too, modest. Shannon, thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Talk to you later. Until next time. Bye. Thanks. Oh, there we go, Shannon Selberg. What a great guy. What 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 an awesome dude that guy is. Uh, a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. So yeah, if you haven't already, check out episode I believe two hundred six. Uh, for, I guess, the bookend, part one of part two, part two of part one. Uh, make of that what you will. Uh, let's listen to, let's just, let's just do Stab by an Angel here, and uh, I'll play us out afterwards. Thanks so much for listening. Protonic Reversal, ProtonicReversal.com.
by an angel. The heroin cheeks. Out of the Furica. the wall cows featuring shannon silberg amazing shannon silberg for that heroin cheeks stab by an angel thanks so much for listening folks uh shannon silberg is awesome always appreciate having that guy on he's a very intelligent dude heroin cheeks out of africa Reptilian Records, reptilianrecords.com. Go check that out. First time ever on vinyl. Uh, like I said, underrated band. I actually felt really bad about kind of giving it short shrift when I had them on last time. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope everyone checks it out because uh, underrated band. It, yes, it's different from the cows, but underrated. Anyway, anyway. Thanks so much for listening. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. This show airs live Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific on Radio Nope. Say yes to Nope. <laughs>
Archives are available. ProtonicReversal.com. Mr. and Mrs. America protonicreversal.com uh, always free no ads no sponsors no kidding if you like the show and you want an episode sooner and or want to support the show one dollar a month patreon.com slash protonicreversal we'll achieve that goal 50,000 watts of power subscribe on YouTube uh, Spotify uh, your favorite podcasting app Whatever, whatever it is people are listening to these days, uh, that helps the show as well. And uh, it's always appreciated. Thanks, folks, for liking the episodes and the various things you like. Sharing it around. If you like it, tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a friend of me. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Stay safe out there. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. And take it easy. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now?
isn't really broadcasting if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. See?